Hey everybody, and welcome to this, the ninth episode of the Arizona Field Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Warner, and today we're doing the podcast on the pontoon. We're sitting down with Manny Chi. Uh, Manny is a fishing guide in here of the state of Arizona. He's a wicked bass fisherman, carp fisherman, fly fisherman. Uh, pretty much if it swims in Arizona, he can catch it. So uh, yeah, we sit down. We have a really fun episode Uh you know, like I said, we're on the pontoon boat. We're just kind of cruising around, talking, fishing, talking little tactics, uh, some of the, you know, showcasing the opportunities that are here in Arizona for the Arizona fishermen. And, uh, yeah, just have, overall, just having a really fun conversation with a really cool dude. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So, without too much guff, we're going to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. As soon as I hit this button, you'll be listening to Manny. Hit record just so if we do, do something funny, I can use it for an excerpt. <laughs> In case we crash. <laughs> we like, look out! Oh, no, no, no! <laughs> Dude, we're stuck. <laughs> All right, man, there we go. We're going to have to swim to shore. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing it's a long way to go. <laughs> oh, man. Not a bad day for a boat ride. That's for no, sure. Uh, this is the this is the Dobson Ranch. This <laughs> is a uh, I was born and raised here, and uh, this is where I started fishing. This is where it all began for me. So how long uh, have you? Uh, so you grew up right here at Dobson Ranch. I grew up in this neighborhood. No like kidding. A few blocks from where my house is is my <laughs> parents' house. They're still there. I didn't go far. Um, yeah, this was the Dobson Ranch here has a system of eight ponds, and they're all actually fed from the Salt River chain. So it's the same water as like the Canyon Lake, Saguaro, Roosevelt, Apache. Yep. That whole system comes into the canals and then gets uh, goes into here. And uh, this is where it all started for me. And my 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 father wasn't uh, still not a not an angler kind <laughs> of neither personality nor <laughs> love <laughs> but uh he uh he knew how to like teach me a bobber a split shot a hook and a piece of corn and like <laughs> hey, that's what you need to get started dude, that used to get it out here there used to be a lot of bluegill oh, on yeah. the shoreline as well just gonna ask you so what were you what were you targeting back then was yeah, it yeah corn corn eaters or the bluegill yeah and uh so i did that for a long time thought that was the greatest thing in the world and then one time at that, um, you know, the, the the dock slip area there that we took off from, yep. uh, there was these there were these like slightly older kids, and I saw they had like their bucket because you know back then you used to carry around your bucket, bro. <laughs> that's what that's how I cut yeah. my teeth. Yeah, there was no there was no live well or anything, so we just took them in a bucket, <laughs> and. Uh, we I looked in their bucket and I was like, oh, okay, bluegill, bluegill, and I was like wait a minute what's that like bigger longer looking thing and it's got this like mouth turned up you know looking all mean and <laughs> mean and green and i was like what is that one and they're like that's a bass a bass like <gasps> did you catch them on corn and they're like no nah, you little dummy like this this one doesn't eat corn i'm like it doesn't eat corn well then, how'd you get it like what does it eat how'd you get it and they're like these, these like these like worms and they had like little plastic 
you know, synthetic plastic worms and stuff. Like an old school, like a robo worm kind of thing? Oh, this is before robo was even (laughs) robotic at all, dude. (laughs) These were like mans. (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. The the jelly worm and stuff like that, you know. They came in like purple, black, brown, like basic colors. Um, But, yeah, I remember they had them, so I saw their lures, you know, their box of like, (gasps) ooh, like. You know, they had like little Rapalas in there, you know, stuff. And uh, it just blew my mind. And I was like, okay, like I'm ready to level up. Like, I'm going to find out like how you guys got this. Right. How does this work? And uh, back then it used to be like every trip I'd take with my mom to uh, Lucky's Grocery Store. I think Safeway had a a section and uh, Yellow Front out here had a fishing section. And uh, I would go there and like go and, and... I would always end up making the mistake of buying like the most ridiculous things. Okay, right. <laughs> it was like a a spinnerbait in chartreuse with yellow flare, you know, sparkles, and like <laughs> I was like, why would they want that white, boring one or the gray one? Right, nah, bro. They, they're peacock bass. They want to eat this, right? <laughs> like big. Big dreams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you're and that age, every fish, you know, you think you're on your outdoor oh yeah. channel or something. Yeah, yeah, my dad's not there to be like, no, nah, bro, you want to keep it natural, this and that. You know, he's like, I don't know, whatever. You know, just buy that thing. It's not that bad. And uh, <laughs> so I'd be out here throwing, like, these, you know, ridiculous colors and big, flashy, like, things that I liked. But I don't remember catching very many bass. <laughs> I just I remember fishing for them a lot. So not much has changed in the world for me. <laughs> we still with that plan. Got a nice consistent success rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Consistent <laughs> of one or two every once in a while. But the time that I would shine was when they were like on their beds. I didn't know they were on their beds. I just knew like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden these fish are like shallow and they're right here. Yeah. And they don't leave. Like they don't get spooked. But if you like put it right like in this little certain magic spot like dude they eat it <laughs> and uh, back then they used to get big bass in here there were six there was eights like there was big fish nice fish and uh and that was kind of my you know that was my urban development program over here <laughs> mix that up with uh every year we would go to cancun mexico my parents got a timeshare there early on and uh before you know way before mtv blew it out uh it used to be like a cool fishing town and and snorkeling and spear diving and deep sea and lagoon fishing, you know, snook, baby tarpon, uh, things like that that had very similarities to bass, you know. So uh, that was kind of my saltwater education every year over there. And uh, and then finally, uh, one of those years, I talked to my dad and I was like, Dad, I know I'm not catching fish. Like, I know what the problem is. I need to, uh, I, I need to get out on the water. Like the problem is I'm stuck to shore and the fish are out there and that's why I'm not catching fish was my idea. So I was like, I want one of those inflatables, like the, the Seymour or whatever it was. Right. (laughs) I need a Seymour bro. Like, come on, help me out. And he was like, hell no, you're not going out there in that thing. Are you going to stick a hook in there and deflate and end up drowning out there? Like, no, you're not going in that. All right. Well, let's look at canoes. All right, so we looked at canoes. Canoes were like, mm, that don't look very safe either. So then we looked at like aluminum little boats, right? It went from the aluminum boats to hanging out at Tempe Marine and all of a sudden getting like, my dad got talked into a Ranger bass boat, fiberglass 360, 365V 
bass That's boat. a hell of a jump going from an yeah. aluminum fishing boat <laughs> to a, a ranger. He went for that. He was like, nah, this looks a lot safer. And it's like <laughs> Coast Guard approved and it's known for safety. So we went with that. And uh, that was that was my first real like touch at like actual lakes. He had a buddy, uh, Mark. Um, oh no, I can't believe I forgot his. Mark Edelman or Edelman. Maybe we mispronounced it all. Mark Edelman <laughs> uh, w- worked also with my dad, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I love this stuff. Like, I have a champion. I fish the local tournaments. The champions of bass boat. Yep. I have a champion bass boat. I fish the local tournaments." Like, let's go out. We'll take your, you know, I'll take your son out and stuff. And uh, we used to go out with him. And that's where I learned a lot of, like, the old school tactics for, uh, you know, for tournaments in Arizona. So it was a lot of, uh, I remember a lot of reaction stuff, like crankbaits, jerkbaits, poppers, spinnerbaits, buzzbaits. And then some of the, you know, back then, structure fishing was with a flasher. You know, it was the, the device that just went round and round and, like, it would flash on zero and it would flash at, like, where the depth was. Right. And with that, they would find points and breaks and drops. And uh, we would fish, you know, the curly tail grubs, the reapers, westy worms, <laughs> uh, you know, Texas rigs. <laughs> this is before drop shot ever was even, you know, thought of. Uh, so we would, we would fish all that and I kind of learned, like, a little bit of the structure thing. And uh, jigs, we used to flip and pitch jigs, and he taught me so much and kind of set me on a path that lasted until now, I would say, because uh, just seeing him, like, show me and teach me and, like, the passion that he had for it yeah. and the excitement that he would get, like, when I would catch a fish and, and uh, like, that set me up to, like, be a guide, I believe. Uh, ever since then, it was, like, I was always the Cub Scout leader, like, taking the friends out. You know, and like trying to get my friends into it, and you know, yeah, I know we're plastered, but let's, you know, how about we wake <laughs> up early tomorrow? We're almost there. You know, let's go from the bar to the lake. And uh, I, I was always like the the leader there, trying to get other friends into yeah. it. Uh, Come on, cousins, let's go. Family members, <laughs> yeah, whoever. Um, it was always like like that, and I would always like. I remember always just enjoying, you know, more seeing them catch fish and them get into it than, like, it happening for me. Like, if I was there, that was enough. And uh, I was always the type that would also, like, oh, okay, I just caught, like, two or three on this jerkbait. Here, you tie this on yours so that you can start catching them and learn how to use it because there is a bite going. Like, it's on right now. And I'll, like, try something a little different. See how they like this. See if, like, you know, see what other little variations of things I can uh, I can get into and figure out, like, try to figure out what, you know, hey, if they eat this, they also eat that. If they're eating on this pattern, maybe this pattern works too. And that was kind of uh, early, the early onset of guiding. <laughs> and, like, I, you know, people sometimes ask, like, don't, do you get sick of, like, just watching people? And, yeah, a lot of people want me to fish with them too. I understand that. I used to like fishing with Mark and seeing him fish was, you know, as much as of, of an education as him telling me what to do. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was the beginning of it really for me. So that's how I fell into it. And then in college, I was kind of, you know, <clears throat> in between that time, my dad would also like kind of promote my passion for outdoors things, including fishing. And he always knew like, oh, you can get these guides and they'll like teach you and show you the right way. So uh, I, I got to go with, you know, various guides. I remember one of the early trips was like a Colorado fly fishing 
you know, trip with a guide. Yeah, like about uh, the San Juan or something? Uh, it wasn't the San Juan. It was called like Nine Mile Canyon or something like that or something. I forgot what, you know, it. just some cool stream yeah. out there, river, <laughs> waders and all of that. Uh, and saltwater trips and, you know, tarpon trips and just, uh, I, I never actually did like a bass fishing guided trip, but I did a lot of other species and, uh, and from there kind of, you know, again, got this passion for it and realized like, Hey, there's a market, like people do this as a living. It's not just like, I want to fish all day and get paid to fish. Like this is how you fish and get paid. And, uh, and from there, I went to college, did business and tourism. Again, I didn't exactly think that it was going to end up with, like, guiding, but I knew something in the outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, uh, you know, somewhere in there, there's got to be room for me wanting to do this as, as a job. Right, wanting to break into that industry. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a tough industry to break into. Yeah. But um, just a little bit back up, where'd you go to school? I went to ASU. ASU? Well, that's where I finished. Okay. Started in California, made my way. <laughs> As my grades uh, sent me to different places. Okay. <laughs> I got demoted to MCC and then did a couple years there and then transferred to ASU once I was uh, a little bit better at reading a book, I guess. <laughs> guess get some time off the lake once in a while, I guess. <laughs> so, how did you get your start in going? Because you went, so by sounds of it, you went from. You know, just how I think most of us started as kids, you know, bluegilling and into bass. And then where did, when did you make that transition into fly fishing? Um, so I think I was around 13, 12 or 13 years old when a friend of my dad's caught wind that like I had this fishing passion. And he was like, oh, really? You know, what, what do you guys, you know, fish? Oh, we bass, you know, this is after we had the boat. So he was like, yeah, you know, does bass and and I, I'm not fishing like tournaments back then. There was no youth, you know, tournament circuit or anything like that. Right. So uh, he found out that I was into it, and he was like, oh, well, let me give him a fly rod. And I remember him coming over one evening. I, I vividly remember this. I remember him coming over. His name was Fence Demacher. He was, uh, or that was his last name, Fence Demacher. He was, uh, he was uh, Dutch, I think. Okay. And. Uh, and he came over and he gave me this fly rod. It was an Orvis. Ooh, I forgot now the model, but it was a green rod. It was an Orvis rod. It was a nine foot five weight, uh, or maybe six. And and he was like, "Here, this. You know, I know you're into fishing, so let me give you. I want to give you this fly rod." And he kind of explained some of the basics to me. You know, this one doesn't cast with the lure. This one casts with the weight of the line. Kind of, I remember him like, you know, showing me out in the backyard, just like, you know, a little bit of like nine to five, nine to five, you know, <laughs> nine to nine o'clock to five o'clock. You know, this is how you do it. This is how you cast this. And, uh, you know, peace out. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and from then it was kind of like, okay, so. Hey, I know that this thing's like a trout catching thing, but maybe it also catches some of these bluegill or these bass out here and just started going to like local stores and, uh, and like got into the fly fishing thing. You know, I, I guess I caught onto it pretty quick. I took it to Cancun with me and caught like a barracuda stuff right away. So I was like hooked. I was like, this is, this is cool. This thing's neat. It's got to scream a little bit better than a, mm -hmm. than a urban yeah. lake bass or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that hurt. <laughs> it hurt my fingers. <laughs> but that, that was the beginning of fly fishing. And then for me, it was just kind of, uh, 
you know, hitting up all the local stuff I can and then venturing out a little more. And, and one of those, you know, along the way, one of those things that I always kind of looked at was the carp here. Uh, we always had a good, like, Asian carp, the, I mean, grass carp yep. uh, population here, which they, they put in to eat the grass, which I haven't seen any grass ever in my life here. But <laughs> luckily, they're here. <laughs> and I was always like, man, those are the biggest things in this lake. Like, how come we're not targeting them? Right. You know? And, uh, and I, I started, like, this is, again, way before carp fly fishing was even a thing like nowadays there's lines and and you know series of flies and books and people have oh, made a name for like themselves a niche unto itself mm -hmm. yep people have kind of made a name for themselves from fishing fly fishing for carp right uh well it took me about five years to develop a fly that finally accessed the carp here so in these ponds um you know i, I would go to like my local fly fishing shop arizona fly fishing and kind of ask them, like, hey, you know, can you catch this carp on these flies? Like, and it was cool because they, they were, like, uh, they were real open-minded about it, too. Luckily, they weren't, like, you know, the stereotypical, like, closed-minded, it's only trout and it's only this and everything else right. is trash. They were well, like, Why do you yeah, want that sewer salmon? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they were like, dude, I don't know. Like, you know, we've caught them sometimes on accident or stuff like that on little, like, poppers or the, the little, uh, you know, poppers that are made more for bluegill and stuff. But, you know, try to figure them out. Yeah. So it took me a while, but I, and then I started tying flies. And then I remember just one day being real frustrated at, like, how do you feed these things? Like, they don't, they're not. You know, they're not predators, so they don't chase anything down. Most of the flies that I present to them, like, they get spooked and then go away. And finally, just kind of frustrated one day, like, put it all down and just, like, watch them. And I realized, like, one of these ficus fig trees, which is, like, those over there, the big green ones. Yep. One of those ficus fig trees, I see it, like, drop one of the little berries on it. And it was the first time that I saw some carp that were just cruising. All of a sudden, like, they turned. And they were like, what's that? Mm. And they ate it off the surface. And I yep. was like, oh, <laughs> like it, it somehow registered to me right away that like, I yep. know they don't have ears. I know they don't have a lateral line like a bass does, but that carp, like it just heard that. Right. It, and I knew that like in, you know, in water sound is, is waves and, and sound wave and that vibration, the rings that that berry threw out. Like that's sound. Yeah, so he was they able to pick heard, up on that. Uh huh. They heard it. So now it was like, ooh, if I can make something sound like that, I bet they'll eat it. And so it took me about five years, three, four, three, four, five years to develop a fly um, with, you know, in a way that I had never seen anybody create a fly, which was there not for mimicking the sound, I mean, the, the size or the color of what they ate but to mimic that sound that it like the register that it throws off and in that process i found like too much sound spooks them not enough sound doesn't quite get their attention they swim right by but when you get that right amount of sound and they like it floating um when you get that right amount of sound they they become like a you know not a predator but they they compete with each other yeah and they boom they strike that thing and since then, I have caught hundreds and hundreds of, <laughs> of carp out here, and, I, and that's one of my, I still think that it's the best guide trip that I offer 
for under two hundred and fifty dollars because it's two forty nine ninety nine. Some Orvis little marketing plug there. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, some Orvis style marketing there. They like to say, "Oh, this is the best rod under a thousand dollars." Yeah. Oh, really? How much? Nine ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, it's under a thousand. That's the best fly fishing trip. Uh, I I bought a drift boat for it, so I have like a real fly fishing style drift boat. Very comfortable, very open, very safe. We're not falling off. And it's made for fly fishing. And we come out here, and I think it's like the best way to build your skills. We can work on your cast. We can work on your double haul. The trout, I mean, the, the carp are, uh, you know, they are finicky. It's not easy. They're not stupid. Um, they're a very weary kind of fish. So it takes, you know, it takes a, it takes its skill and, and learning. The, and then you get to learn how to fight a big fish because, like, you're actually fighting something big, you know. Right. It's not just some little bluegill that, like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing, but somehow I got them to us. Like it teaches <laughs> them, you know, teaches people to fight the fish and a lot of basics. And then if you already know what you're doing, well, then, dude, catch a good day, and you might catch twenty, you know, twenty carp out here, and you know, twenty thirty eats, and like it's just an awesome day on the water, close to town, and uh, you know, right. You don't have to drive three hours out yep. into the desert. <clears throat> Some stream or something. Uh -huh. the pace not or having to hit anything up, and not having to go far, and just come here and hang out. So it's a, <laughs> it's a nice uh, resource that I've had ever since a kid here. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because I mean, growing up, like, so I'm not from Arizona. I grew up in Northern New York. So oh, really? Yeah. So I come. Is uh, that like the Catskill areas or no? uh, five hours north? Oh wow. Yeah. So the Adirondacks. Oh, I grew up kind of the full, like between the Adirondacks. Famous and waters over there. Yeah, yeah, I grew up between the Adirondacks and Lake Ontario. I grew up five miles from Lake Ontario. Wow. So you know, for me, it was a lot of bass fishing, a lot of walleye, a lot of northern pike. Uh huh. Um, but you know, it's carp have always been regarded as that tr quintessential trash fish. Like, yes. Like I mean, guys, they're so detrimental. Guys call uh, snow geese sky carp. <laughs> like kind of, because you know they have their yeah. own reputation, which I don't agree right. with I, that one either. But um, <laughs> you know, it's the big deal back home was always we used to bow fish for them. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, these guys started, especially because it's the Thousand Islands, you know, pretty famous area and yeah. a big vacation area. And we started getting these folks coming over from like Europe and coming over fishing. And the most, uh, for always forget what his name is, but he's the guy that plays. Draco Malfoy on the Harry Potter movies. Oh. He is a wicked carp fisherman, apparently. Really? This is, if I remember the story right, he's a wicked. Yeah. So he came over and fell in love with New York State carp fishing yeah. and started a tournament for, you know, regular, you know, uh -huh. European style trout fishing, where the first prize was a brand new Toyota pickup when the, when the second or third generation Tundras were first coming out. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, $50,000. Kind yeah. of prizes like holy shit, like, like how it is in Europe. Yeah, like New yeah. York just got on the map. Yeah, like big time. So you know you go to, like these places like um, I I did I have stayed at this one motel up in uh, Waddington, which is got kind of like that's like dead center of the carp country up there. And Ooh. you know went to the hotel and you know a place where usually you know guys that have pictures of the big deer that were shot there or you know a <laughs> yeah. giant you know like big ten twelve walleyes and the yeah. big, you know lake trout. Yeah, the fifty inch musky. That's wicked musky country. Mm, okay, okay. And the wall is just covered with guys holding grass carp. <laughs> that's all you saw. Was like holy like giant like, carp. Yeah, like but you know because down where I am, you know it's all wall. You know. Say I live right, you know, five miles north of the Salmon River. You know, I okay. got a little delta right there, and so, you know, so that was what it, I was always. You it, know, was it the uh, was it the lakes or the rivers that they would catch them out of, or both? 
Uh, up there is the St. Lawrence River. Yeah, so it's yeah. a river. Yeah, they were in the river so fishing. It's a hard fighting river carp. Yep. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of them, especially <coughs> in the in the bays and shallows on the eastern edge of Ontario. Uh huh. But uh, Lake Ontario, not not the province, but Lake Ontario, and um, but you know it was us for it was more mostly more so a hassle, like trying to get yeah. through the carp to go find a bass someplace, <laughs> kind of thing. Cause right. You get into the shallows and you'd have a hundred carp rolling. Yeah. Especially in June when they're spawning, Woo! like you. Uh huh. Um. When I was working for DEC, our version of Game and Fish, okay, we'd have you know we'd be going doing marsh bird surveys in in we'd, we'd be finishing up right about beginning of June and you know you're trying to canoe into these marshes and your paddles are hitting carp as you're oh, going really? through <laughs> yeah and I mean I'm talking like submarines like you know 30, 40 pounders Carpin, sometimes yeah, yeah <laughs> the real ones yeah that was in the sand so you know what. Coming out here wow. and you know, you know, checking out you guys on on Instagram and some other guys around the state on on Instagram and uh-huh. and especially you know guys hitting these urban lakes, hitting the canals. Like this is an opportunity I did not know was here. Yeah, right. Like it's a, it's <laughs> it's just these urban water. I, I love. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to do this podcast about. Not just this one, but this whole series. Uh huh. You know, is I love highlighting those opportunities. Yeah. And. The urban lakes around here are phenomenal. The whole, but the whole state has yeah a lot more opportunity than I think a lot of folks. Whenever they, oh, well, yeah. folks think of Arizona, they, yeah, yeah, they they're going to think swarrows and Choya, yeah. no water. You know, even still, people that are like from here, and I tell them like I'm a fishing guy, and they'll look at me like a flounder. You know, <laughs> the, the eyes go over each other, and they're like, "What? There's no water here." And like, are you serious? Like you're. You're fr- you've lived here enough years, and you have no idea of the lakes we have in yep. an hour drive. We have like five, six. And it's you not know, so much the opportunity, but the quality. Yeah, that they can we be here. really good quality. And uh, you know, there's a lot of places in Arizona and urban, and you know, even far off, you know, wilderness drives and all that, where if you wouldn't believe that you're in Arizona sometimes. You know, there, oh, there's no. definitely so many times where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in Florida fishing the Colorado River. Or yep. like, dude, I feel like I'm in Colorado fishing over here in the Black River. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and you just close your eyes and you can get further and further, right? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I no, feel I've, like it's stuck I've, right now. I've been like, a couple <laughs> of places, you know, like, like uh, I haven't been there yet, but I'll see pictures of like Silver Creek. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, yeah, like what, a mini what Idaho? Kind of, yeah, like, <laughs> what's going on? Along with the people, the picket line people, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that feels more like home. The guys in the Salmon River, you got that whole etiquette. Everybody downstream casts first. and Oh, yeah, so like yeah. A wa- like doing the wave at a <laughs> Yeah, at it's a all just fly lines <laughs> going out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, but no, it's like. So how, when did, like, how old were you when you left uh, New York? Uh, I've been here four years. Oh, okay. Just, so yeah, I'm you still were there new. for a while. Yeah, I've been here a little while. Yeah, I'm not like a nice. brand new transplant, but uh-huh. um, got a pretty good basis for what's going on around here. Yeah. But, but uh, did you find that like, did you find it a lot harder to fish out here when you first came? Kind of like, wait a minute, how come like the regular tactics aren't? Yeah. Um, because part of it was, I mean, there's a lot of places to fish, mm-hmm. but. Dealing with the increased pressure. It's very tough. Yeah, yeah. especially the urban lakes. Um, but, you know, just kind of putting your time in, and, you know, I was able mm-hmm. to get some success. And, you know, then I, I yeah. picked up a fly rod for the first time last year. And, oh, okay. Cool. Um, which, I, you know, I lived in, uh, <laughs> I'm from northern New York. Adirondacks. Yeah, from the, <laughs> I went water. to college in the Adirondacks, yeah. Um, I lived in Idaho. Like, Whoa. Yeah, dude. I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've, you know, and between work and play, you know, I've been all over the country. Uh-huh. And I've had guys for years tell me, hey, you need to pick a fly rod. You yeah. Pick up a fly rod. Yeah. 
And I was my my joke was no, I want to catch fish. Right, right. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, especially like in Idaho, if Mike's hearing this, he's gonna be sitting. He's gonna be slapping his face or laughing, one or the other. But, um, you know, I always cut. You know, I was always running like rooster yeah. tails. No, no, here, make it harder on yourself. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look like, what it's like to have this line all wrapped around yourself. Right. And, you know, a disaster, knots. It's so much fun. But so uh, yeah, I remember one day though, we we went up and uh, we were up in in Idaho and. I went up one way and went, he went up the other. We kind of were on the same creek, but you know he was he waited and just kind of fished the way up. And I followed, you know, picked my pools. Um, <laughs> this goose is not happy with us being here, but uh, he's, that's what he's mad about. Huh? Look at him buzzing the tower. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're known for. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, you know, just going up through and um, you know, I, my big one was I I loved uh, Blue Fox brand. I've always oh, loved yeah. the, the big Vibram uh-huh. yeah. uh, blades, and, you know, he was running uh, uh, dry flies. Yeah. And we came to the end, you know, I was picking my pools, but he smoked me on fish counts. Right, right. You know, he but was... But the number was yours. I mean, the size was yours. Size was mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but numbers were his. <laughs> but it's kind of funny, because my biggest fish of the day, because it was a very small... It was named Big Crick, uh-huh. but it was a very small body of water. Yeah, sounds like Arizona. Yeah, 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 that kind of naming, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, plenty of water, and there's, like, one little tiny pond. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so my big one actually coincidentally came on a streamer. Um, I, oh. I had a little – I bought some streamers, uh-huh. and I had a – Eagle Claw makes it. It's, like, a, it's like 25 bucks. It's, like, an 8-foot, but it's, like, a it's a spinning rod, oh, okay, fly okay. rod combo. Mm-hmm. And I always put spinning reels on them. Uh, but it was awesome because it's a – or, no, it's – yeah, it's like eight foot, but it's basically an eight foot ultralight. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you can get some, you can zing a lure away out a there. A little lure. Yeah. Oh, very little. Yeah. And uh, I put that streamer on there. You know, it was all I was pitching for yeah. for trout pretty much. And did up you have like your blue fox in front of it, like for weight or anything? No, or I just, just the streamer. Just, like, just the streamer. Wet. Yeah. Get her wet. Get yeah, heavy. Uh, yeah. Still uh, pretty much. Just, no. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a bead head. It was a. I think now they would call it a clouser. Oh okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you know, I had the barbell, the yeah, the barbells, dumbbells mm-hmm. on front yep. on the front, and you know, pitched that in and started walking out, and you know, it's very very small pond. I mean, maybe the size of your console. Oh wow. And kind of you know, the riffle came in, and there was a big rock kind of where you're sitting, and then the little pool, and then it went back into the creek. Uh-huh. And I was pitching, and there was this big log went across it, and I pitched it and started going against, you know, kind of snapping it. Uh-huh. Um, more like I was running a swim bait than anything. Yeah, yeah. And I get bring it back towards the log, and also here comes this cutthroat. Ooh. He comes out and he inhales it. You know, got a little Sick. bit of a fight in. You know, he was fourteen inch cutty. Nice. On, so even like even all that, you know, spinning rod versus yeah. fly rod. Uh-huh. I, I spinning rod. But you I were bought, transferring uh, over. Yeah, but I caught it <laughs> on, a, on a dang fly. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So even that was a hybrid. Gaining book. confidence in the technique there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then of course went back to New York and put down the flies totally and went right back to walleye fishing. But yeah, uh, nice. But uh, so as far as going coming back to Arizona, uh-huh. so do you spend most of your time here on the urban lakes, or do you like to venture out some more? Or? Uh, no, there, like um, there's been years where I hit the urbans a lot, um, but it was quite some time ago. I you know after. Like after that Ranger 365V, I ended up getting a Ranger Cayman, a 22 foot. Uh, it's actually like a Texas style redfish boat, a saltwater skiff. Okay. But it works great. Or? It's a center console, uh huh. All deck, 
walk around deck, uh, nine and a half and eight and a half foot rod lockers. Uh, so it, it works as an awesome platform for out here. Handles rough water really well because of the length. And, you know, it is like, it's a, it's a skiff. So that's made to like go from the bay to the shallow lagoon. So it, it drafts 10 and a half inches of water. I can get back into any backwaters I want and, uh, and I can fish, you know, in, in bad weather <laughs> and it works great out here. And that's when I, you know, I started focusing on the lakes much more and, and it was always kind of like, Hey, you know, yeah, you, I can go to like the urbans and catch five, seven, you know, fish. But I can try to do that at the big lakes and, like, struggle more. But it was always a little more rewarding because it's, like, more real. You know, it's hard. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough to figure out. you got to put time in. Techniques got to be on point. So it, that was what I, you know, I've always, like, kind of mixed things up um, because, you know, now that I'm 43, I realize, like, a lot of this outdoor stuff is all about cycles. It's never just always good, yeah. right? It might like it might be the next three years. All of a sudden, like big bass is the thing to target. Like they're there. the The, the temperatures are right. The pre the barometric pressures are right. You know their food source is right. Like it's a good time for it. So take advantage of it. And then all of a sudden that goes away. And now like oh dude, now the small streams are fishing better than they have in the last three four years that have been a struggle. So then like I kind of focus on that or or like now you know boom all of a sudden we're having like an amazing quail season and you know time to kind of focus on that right yep. like i don't um there's no point for me in like struggling so hard when i know like dude it's just a cyclical down you know it's a down cycle right now so i've always kind of uh i've always liked to mix things up i guess i kind of I've, I've been called the, the modern day outdoorsman <laughs> <laughs> well, and arizona what, lets us do that you know that's what's awesome there's big game hunting small game hunting archery uh you know there's everything the only thing we're missing is the ocean <laughs> and that's not really even that far away it's not i mean far, in all reality yeah. i mean you i have, go to san diego yeah, a lot yeah san diego got rocky point if you want to go mm -hmm. south of the border i mean you have yeah a lot of opportunity here mm -hmm. just you know it's within a drive within yeah, a drive within a yeah, short yeah, drive what's san diego five hours six hours six know, hours five, yeah five six hours of san diego hang out with the bruce man matt purcell and <laughs> you know all of a sudden we're catching wahoo sometimes and bluefin and yellowtail and calico bass not so much with the bruce man but other friends <laughs> uh, but yeah it's a i think it's a great uh if it's not done here it's a short drive away yeah, and that's just one thing, you know, and then, you know, with Sky Harbor right here, you know, being a major mm -hmm. airport, too, you know, traveling in and out yeah. of Arizona is very easy to do. Yeah, and like you, I'm a short drive from the airport, so that's not a big deal. Yeah. That's a good-looking lab. Yeah. He's, He's straight in. right there, huh? Yeah. Look at him. He's pointing already. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> Well, that's what I got at home. I got a, a five-year-old, but he's got more of an American head on him. He's a little bit longer, a little more uh -huh. angled. And okay. I love that's them English, you know, the big block. I mean, Boone's got a block head, but that dog has got a center block on his yeah, neck. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he's mus muscly. Oh, yeah. He's straight stock. Good you hunt with dog. your dog, too, right? I see it in your Instagram pictures. Yep. 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 He's a good um, retriever. Yeah. Um, I call him the retriever in name only. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he marks dead really well, but okay, yeah. it's kind of funny. So, uh, <laughs> me and my buddy from uh, my buddy Pat, we went up with a bunch of folks, but we went up to Nebraska for sharp tails. Uh huh. And we had some younger dogs with us, and you know, so we were doing some training days, and 
you know, it's kind of funny because I put all right. So this other time, I put I've done training days with him next to a pond. Okay. And it was just like, you know pen raise bobs, mm-hmm. and I've I can come up. He'll flush it like a dream. I mean, he hits a scent cone and he's bang on. Nice. And I come up, you know, bird goes up, bang. You know, he goes. He'll mark dead every single time. Yeah. Will not put that quill in his mouth for more than ten seconds. Right, right. I can take that exact same <laughs> bird. He's refused throw it in a pond. He'll retrieve it a hundred yeah. times out of hundred. Oh, in the water. In he the water, it. he is phenomenal. So he knows. He's yeah. like, no, no, dude. No, you he, can bend down and grab this. Like, yeah, that's. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. You got damn legs. You <laughs> like, can come yeah. do it. Like, I'm showing you where it is. You can grab it. But if it's in the water, I know that you wet monkeys don't do that well. So I'll go get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I mean, a, he's a. I mean, he'll put a. I mean, he puts a wake behind him, man. He, yeah, yeah, they swim hard. Yeah, so like when he was a puppy, puppy, you know, started getting them on. You know, I lived right mm-hmm. on Lake Ontario, so we could do trainings on the water every day of the week. Yeah. Um, you know, and at one point I was living in uh, uh on Point Peninsula. It's 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 up in an area they call like the Golden Crescent. Um, Ooh, so okay. it's where Black River Bay, Shamal Bay, and Guffins Bay all kind of come together. About, wow. about 20 miles south of the St. Lawrence, where the St. Lawrence meets the lake. Okay. Um, phenomenal fishing. I bet. But uh, Hand hunting. Oh, yeah, the duck hunting out there is phenomenal. <laughs> Deer hunting's pretty good. I actually got a photo yeah. of the place. I actually got a – so I do a lot of photography. Oh, okay. And uh, there was one day I got this picture of this giant 10-point buck. Oof. And it was back when I was just getting into it, so I had submitted it to a news channel for photo of the day. So, you know, nice. my photo won, you know, so it was, it was my it photo. Was, yeah, it was, it was shown on, you know, uh-huh. on, the, on the local uh, Front TV. page of the outdoors section. Yeah, yeah. So well, it was on, the, on, that, on that night's um, news broadcast on the television, Ooh. so everybody, everybody saw it. And I got so many folks accusing me that that was not a New York deer. I had gone to like oh, Ohio really? or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, we don't have that because I mean, most guys haters, dude. Even back oh then. yeah, dude. It's <laughs> see, they've always been dude, around. You know, but this is the kind of area where I mean, guys kill some really nice white tails. But yeah. you know, you're starting not talking like that one. No, no, this was a very I don't and know it wasn't season probably. So of course he was hanging out, right? It was the. <laughs> Yeah, this was in September. <laughs> he wasn't quite in season yet. Yeah, During season, he's gone. <laughs> two weeks before the archery opener. Nobody ever saw him again. No, I hope. <laughs> and but that area where he was is kind of becoming known. It's it's kind of becoming a little subset oh, it, for yeah, it for, big for deer, being but, bigger deer. Yeah, yeah, but uh, man, I had so many guys. Like my dad went to the local diner, and they were talking about that deer, not knowing that because they didn't know. Who, like yeah. so, my town, you know, is getting to be that part where you know a lot of folks are trying to move into the area. You know, don't, know, don't okay. know each other as much anymore. And, so these folks are saying, oh, yeah, that was a New York deer. And Dad's like, that was my son that got it. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> take a picture. Yeah. You want a beer? Uh, yeah, I'll have a soda. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it that. Adult soda. Yeah. It's allowed here on the Dobson Ranch. It's actually encouraged. <laughs> it's almost required. <laughs> hey, there you go. Shout out for a local maker. Yeah. Keeping it, keeping it local here. Huss Brewing Company. Yeah. Tempe, Arizona. Because funny, Tempe goes down easy like a Scottsdale blonde, <laughs> German style. <laughs> Cheers! Thanks Slancha. for coming out. Yeah, doing a podcast on the pontoon. Yeah, this ain't too bad. No, when you offer to do on a pot on the pontoon, but like hell yeah, let's yeah, go right. do it. Like hey, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking too, because you know you want to. 
kind of like, damn, dude, I don't right, know what's like, going on and nowadays with COVID and this and that. Like, are we going to be masked up or do we want to have a plexiglass in between <laughs> us? Uh, or how six, do we do this? six foot here. And I was like, you know what, bro, let's just go outdoors. <laughs> go on the pontoon. <laughs> I got to ask, though, are the, are the weights for your anchors or? <sighs> no, so they're, uh, they're there because, like, obviously this pontoon is designed to have an outboard back here. So yeah. when you don't, if I don't have weight up there, we end up like, what is it? Yeah, like all yep. off. Bow forward. Bow forward, uh-huh. So those weights are to offset that. Oh, okay. So what do you got power and in this thing then? Uh, a Minn Kota electric. Here it's electric only on the pond. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. See, most of them will have the same, that same Minn Kota model. A few guys have the Torquedo. Which is like a, a high power kind of electric, almost electric outboard getting there to it. So I'm kind of wonder, is that what this guy's got over this third pontoon boat? It looks like a little bit larger engine. That's the Minn Kota, same model. That's well, the I mean same the, model. Well, the one with the, the bimini top that's down, the third one down from the end. Oh, uh, third yeah. one down, the bimini top down, the blue top? Yeah, the blue top. Yeah, that looks like that same Minn Kota, too. Oh, it just looks big mm -hmm. from here. If we, if we come by a Torquedo, I'll point it out to you. Yeah, because I've looks never little, heard of that brand before. Looks a little different. It's pretty cool. They're so, real expensive. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah the Minkotos can be pricey enough as it yeah, is. Yeah, even these. <laughs> yeah, so I want one of these guys, these little Tahoes back here. Yeah, that's super nice. Yeah, I'd love to get one. Maybe a little bit bigger than that, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, last year, me and my buddy Brent, we started. Um, he's been doing it for years. He's from Arizona. Okay. But I've been... Got introduced to flathead catfish. Oh man, that's so sick, dude! It's yeah. I mean, we didn't that's catch the ultimate predator out here. By yeah, way. like that's the ultimate fighter, the ultimate size, the ultimate predator. That's the big boy. Uh -huh. A lot of people don't know, but like the flathead, uh, I respect a lot because it doesn't eat. Like it's not like the channel cat that you can catch on just whatever junk is you know old in your fridge and you right, just throw it out and they'll smell it out you know on the bottom eating crap like no 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 the flathead only eats live bait it only yeah. it's a predator it only eats live bait it's very cautious about what it eats you know if there's if your bait's not lively enough it's not getting bit yeah. if your rig isn't right and it you know it's creating drag or or you know where they're feeling line it's not getting bit like it, it, it's a. Uh, it takes a lot of technique, and you know, it, it's really cool. The rigs are cool. The gear is cool. Like, yeah, that's so. Actually, that was my last episode I did. I just I ran a solo venture. Uh huh. But it's kind of talking, you know, because I've been gearing up. You know, made a run over to uh, Cabela's. Over wanted something to do, so I ran mm -hmm. over to Cabela's and grabbed a bunch of my kit for this year. And and because last year, man, I could not find anything for well, gear. Yeah. Right well, when COVID hit, you know, and everybody was fishing. Yes. And, yeah. You know, the state was set. Liars Corner has a lot of good flathead stuff too where at uh liar's corner is in east mesa it's a cool uh cool shop the corner they spell it with a k okay uh and it's uh they have uh what's the damn i forget i'm at a blank right now for the brand of rods but they're called like car or um catfish something but they have a specific rod that's a really good you know really good made setup like kind of they thought about everything and they'll have the weights and the hooks that you want to be using and stuff I'll have to make sure to Liars run Corner, nice little small shop. Also a depth distributor or depth dealer, Optimum Baits dealer. So they they carry like uh, pretty cool, unique niche stuff for for bass and like a lot of the flathead stuff. 
very cool. So that's you know being in Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, smaller bait. You know, that's and that's what I wanted. That's what I should be doing. Cause I I want to do it, but I, like I said, I went to Cabela's. <coughs> but yeah. uh, no, it's pretty awesome to be able to have those Arizona. Cause I mean, they're going to be mm-hmm. in tune with what's going on yes. in the state, and you know, be able to really set you up for yeah, you know, set you up for what success. It's like rather, Liars Corner, Phoenix Fishing Supply, and then of course for the bass stuff, uh, you know, the hookup tackle. But between yeah. those three shops, like, take my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would get dangerous, especially when those stimulus yeah. checks come in. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Saltwater reels are expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was, I was actually looking at um, maybe picking up a new cat rod and reel setup. So yeah. I'm going to run over to Liar's Corner and give them a check out. Yeah. Like, my small saltwater reel works perfect. It's an Avid that I got from Phoenix Fishing Supply. And it's, like, the perfect uh, flathead reel, I think. Mm-hmm. So how much? So how are you rigging your flathead rods? Or how would you, how would you rig a flathead rod? Like the, what do you mean? Like the well, like um, not like so much the line and everything. Set yeah, up? like what? Think like we were using like uh, we were. So see, sometimes you cast the baits. Sometimes you take them out, like on a kayak or something. Right, and you're dropping the first drop. So it depends. Like if you need to cast, it's good to not have the braid back there. Uh, you know, to have like mono or fluoro, thirty or forty, I think. Yeah. And then it, you know, if if braid isn't an issue, like braid's great because you got more capacity. But you know, you have that binding thing where it can bind into the reel, into itself, and then you go to cast or something, and it, bah, it just you know it snaps off. Right. But uh, the Avit that I have, I forget what model, but it's like a smaller, you know, one of their smaller ones. But it has the amount of drag that you would need. It also has a casting control. Like, it has like four or five uh, brake settings. So that that's nice for casting. Now, and that Avit, is that a little more like a, like a conventional style around, bait caster? Uh-huh, yeah, it's round like a caster. round, uh, like a, you know, like a saltwater type uh, bait caster Okay, round and reel. then for, so for guys back east, if you're not saltwater, it'd be more like what you'd run for like a musky rod. Yes. I guess. Uh-huh. Well, like those guys musky. always, you know, because they're running those giant, uh, uh-huh. uh, well, giant everything they run is giant, yeah. but, uh, yeah. yeah. They, they it, tend to have it's a lot bigger, bigger than, like, the Conquest and stuff like that that you'd probably use for those, but, uh, yeah, it's like a small, you know, jigging or small trolling yeah. kind of setup, and then, uh... Cause I know, like, the, the Abu Garcia Ambassadors are pretty popular. And are they back there? Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, nowadays they probably, uh, the Conquest is probably the way to go. Yeah. High line capacity, the, small small size. That's who my makes Shimano. The oh, Shimano. It's that yeah. gold, that gold one that just has really nice, you know, torque. That's what we use on the big soft baits. Yeah, a lot. It's slow, uh, slow gear ratio, uh, four hundred size. So you get the wide spool with line capacity, and yet the the size of the reel is what used to be, you know, a two or three hundred size round reel in your hand. So it's much easier, much easier to palm. Yeah, that's yeah, cause that's one thing about those four hundreds. You know, get a the old yeah, yeah the older ones were that's like a handful. <sighs> dude. I thought like if I'm gonna keep fishing swim baits, I'm gonna end up with like right. arthritic wrists. Well, you might as well be <laughs> casting with a with a trolling reel at that uh-huh. point, a line counter on it or something. But, uh, yeah, because I just got um, so I've got a well, I got a couple of rods mm-hmm. that uh, one was my old cat rod, my channel cat rod from back east, and the ones my dad's, and he sent them both out here. And, oh, nice. Um. You know, but they're spinning rods. So, yeah. like, one's a old Berkeley big game, eight-footer heavy, eight-foot okay. medium heavy. Uh-huh. With a old, I mean, old Shimano, or not Shimano, um, Shakespeare Alpha on it. Like, like 40 series rod, real. Yeah. But I was going to, uh, and then the other one is the same reel, but it's on a 10-foot ugly stick. 
Okay. Same weight, you know, medium heavy. And, uh-huh. But I was uh, picked up some off. Uh, I can't remember what I said in the podcast. I had it in my hand last week. It was uh, yeah. uh, 832. Um, oh, I just said it. It's my favorite line, too. Suffix. Oh, okay. Suffix 832 uh-huh. braid. Nice. Yeah, 50-pound braid, and I'm running a... I was gonna run. A, I'm running a 30-pound mono leader, uh-huh. just to have a little bit more stretch on that yeah. on that hook set, you know. But um, a little bite abrasion. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, and then uh, you know, picked up some five and six odd circle hooks. Cause that's the thing. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious about. Well, we like these J ones. They're more like a J than a circle. And then I got I got a set of six odds of them too, uh-huh. like, a, like a more they're, of a bait style hook. Yeah, they're like almost triangle. You know, not triangular, but they have like a sharp uh, cut. You know, in the bend, it's a. Oh, kind of like you use on a, on a little plastic swim bait, kind of where it comes up and it has that hard. Much bigger. That, uh-huh, but yeah. yeah, like that type of idea. Um, I also thought, and my buddy was like, no, it looks like, you know, circle hooks are fine and they do work great, but we like to be able to clear up all that line and then ooh, give them a real hard hook set. Right. And uh, that's where, you know, it's going to be better with a different type than a circle. Right, because a circle you The can't. circle you just wind down into it and like... Let yeah. them load up yeah, and just it'll gonna... crawl its way to that side, which is all good too. Well, I think my dad likes running because he got one to turn me on to the circle hooks. Mm-hmm. But uh, he used to accuse me of one of these days when like I used to set the hook really hard. Didn't matter if yeah. we were catching trolling for walleye or you know Texas rigging for bass. Is I set the hook hard. <laughs> right. Says one of these days you're gonna get a fish that's gonna be inside out when it gets to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> His stomach gonna be out there. Yeah, he's gonna. Yeah. So, so one uh, of my favorite rigs that I remember for the flathead that like was really effective for us was basically you have a a weight you know down on the bottom that goes to a line and it goes to a three-way swivel and on that three-way swivel the other one is going to be taken by just that the a little like you know uh maybe almost two feet of line with that hook and your bait and then the third part of that connects up but in there, you would have with bobber stops, we would have a, a floater, like a bobber. Not like those round ones, but a little bit fancier. More <laughs> like, so a, like a fancy or something. Pants. Like, a uh-huh. like one of those like longer kind of egg, you know, not egg. I guess you could call it egg shape. Uh, those. And what it does is it, it holds that, it holds it all s- like straight. Yeah. So that in the water, you have that that weight down here. You know, you tighten up and, and it's obviously it's not like 90 degrees. It's going to be at an angle. But it's a little bit uh, better, and and we found that like those baits could swim around easier like that. That's yep. kind of that's the setup that we've caught the most on. See, that's what um, another rig I got to get ready for because right now I'm I'm kind of rigging up more for like a slip sinker style. Okay, so kind of an inline because mm-hmm. we're fishing at night, so I can't really see the bottom. But mm-hmm. the bobber would help, you know, just keep it in position. But yeah, having my main line coming down and then mm-hmm. putting like a four to six ounce egg on the main line. Yeah, and then having a. Uh, I think I chose size one barrel swivels just for the, for the heavy breakage. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tying that to me, like just to stop the yep. sinker from going to, too far down, and then running, mm-hmm. you know, my leader to my my hook and my bait. Nice. And then the you know the, with the bait in theory holding it up. Yeah. And then when the fish takes it, he can make you know yeah, the, he the can flathead through can the take weight. the run. Yeah, he's going to uh-huh. take the weight. He's not going to feel that resistance, and so I can wait for him to, to pause, shift it around in his mouth, and then I can yeah. bang. And nice. Yeah. That's my mentality. That's all uh-huh. I'm going to be trying it this year, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to get rigged up because I've got a bunch and that, of... that bobber that I'm telling you about, too, the neat yeah. thing about it is it, it doesn't go, like, up at the top. It does. It's not, like, floating. It's in the line, so it's only a little bit away from that three-way, and those bobber stops keep it from being able to go up, 
Oh. So that, like, down in the water, it's f- trying to float and holding that rig like this, like up high. You know, so it's holding that rig that up. So with that rig, are you having any issues with, say, if you're if you're fishing in a current, are you having no any cur- issues with I haven't had it in current. Well, we have had it in current. Sorry. So yes. I'm just kind of wondering, if you're in current, are you getting wrapped up in structure more? Uh, you know, that problem we don't have, I think, just because maybe the current that we have fished it out of was more like Sandy River with no okay. no sticks, no trees. There was nothing like that to get stuck in. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what I'm kind of picturing because, I mean, still learning. I've only been doing it for a year, so still trying to figure uh-huh. out where I want to go or where we're going to go because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pretty much going to be fishing with Brent the whole time. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where to go, where good to luck, Brent. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> he's got to be dealing with me, so he's got to have good patience, anyways. <laughs> I'll buy the beer, but uh, uh, I do actually. This is the first time I'm thinking of that. It's the first time I've had this Gusto Blonde. I really like it's this. It's nice, right? It's nice and light. Yeah, it's a uh, German style Kolsch. Mm-hmm. I think the only time I've ever had a Kolsch before was that one that uh, Game and Fish has the partnership with. Ooh, with um, the Arizona Wilderness or something? No, it was uh, they're up north. They're out of. Like Flag, I think. Um, oh, cool. Mother Road, I think was the brand name. Oh, okay. It was like Conservation Colch or something they called it. Oh, like nice. part of the proceeds went to the Game and Fish. And cool. Yeah, I had one last I kinda year. I kind of remember that, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, get I, I think I think they did it again this year. I haven't bought. I need oh, to. Cool. I need to get some just because it was pretty good. I like that Conservation Colch. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. If not, that's what they should have called it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> one. Maybe that'd be the 2022 beer or something. But. <laughs> Yeah, I remember having that in elk, in elk camp last year, uh-huh. and I thought it was pretty good. It was good. Nice. You got to hunt elk last year? Uh, or no, two years ago, sorry. Two years um, ago? Last uh-huh. year, <laughs> I had an elk tag last year. I drew my first ever elk tag. Oh, nice. Rifle or archery? Uh, September archery. Ooh. Nice. Two weeks before my, my hunt, I had to go have gallbladder surgery. Ooh. So I was on. I was sitting in recovery. You know, I, I It's already hard enough to pull those one of them heavy ones back, and now you got Oh, oh yeah, yeah, gun. and then <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to carry a backpack, and I, you know, I'm still oh. healing, and it's like, no, this ain't so. Oh. No, I'm done. Yeah, and, but it was so late, you know. I was trying to get a hold of folks to try to donate the tag, but it was uh-huh. a hard access hunt, and okay. nobody Damn. really wanted it. But <laughs> it was, which I don't blame them because that's right. <laughs> you like, know, nah, thanks, dude. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I was trying to donate, you know, to like the like a like the hunters. Um, yeah. Uh, kid stuff or hunters ed or yeah yeah like those kind of hunts but um uh i'm trying to think of a specific program that the arizona elk society does uh-huh. um i think it's called hunts for heroes okay and i'll try to donate to them and it's they're like, like oh, come on dude yeah good. i know and you know <laughs> and you know nightmare. some poor guy's gonna get <laughs> yeah. it and you know it's so no this is a rugged hunt so i'm kind of glad that nobody else took it just yeah. because i wouldn't want to put anybody through that right but uh <laughs> Yeah, no, this year we're going to be trying um, doing a group uh, group application. Mm-hmm. So. See so, if that works. Yeah, which helps me out because I have zero points. So yeah. it's only it's only, it's only going to increase my odds. It might bring everyone right. else down because I have zero <laughs> points. But um, they already made the decision, so <laughs> see what happens. But. Yeah, hopefully no surgeries. Yeah, yeah, hopefully not. But, uh, yeah, no, that one was before um, a friend of a friend had a Unit 9 September archery tag. Oh, cool. Yeah, so went up and helped with that hunt. And that was the same weekend as me and my other buddy went up and I filmed my first hunt. Uh, it oh, was really? a rifle antelope tag. Oh, gosh. You want to talk about Lucky. And if Dustin is listening to this, I'm just going to keep dropping names because they're going to they're yeah. gonna laugh when they hear their own name on these things. But right. He drew a Unit 10 rifle goat tag uh-huh. with zero points. 
Antelope? Antelope tag. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And uh, I looked it up on uh, Gohan on their on their. Uh, he yeah. had a point one percent chance of a draw. <laughs> so are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I can't even draw an elk tag. This is year before I drew. Year before I drew elk, and so I can't even pull yeah. an elk tag. And you pulled this. Like, he had better odds at a desert sheep tag yeah. than he did at that at that antelope tag. And <laughs> um, we went up and hunted it, and you know I filmed a hunt, and you know it was my first foray into into that side of things, and. Um, killed a very nice goat at like 230, and I, I rough scored him. I think he came out. He was like a 75-inch antelope. He was a nice, he was a nice goat. He was yeah. a very nice buck. But uh, yeah, awesome. I was just like, come on, dude. Like, what that's the hell? awesome. They're delicious, aren't they? Oh, I love. You know, I don't understand how they have. It's they're. It's kind of like carp. I think that, yeah, I think that there must be. Uh, populations of them in other places that eat something else. Maybe they eat a lot of sage or something, or they get into something that they don't get into here. That, yeah, I've heard like, oh, you know, like what? The ones I've had have been absolutely delicious. Yeah, I don't hear that. Or folks, you're trying to scare everybody else off of haunting them, kind of thing. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh no, no, they're grouse. Because I mean, I've had guys tell something. me the same thing about snow geese. Uh huh. And uh, how do you ha- how do you prepare them? Smoked. Uh, no, I don't really no. smoke. I never really had a smoker. Okay. Um, I was that redneck that was just marinating grill. Uh huh. But when you marinate it, you know you cover <laughs> everything too. else up. But you know, I <laughs> I could do just like an S and P, salt and pepper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, just case somebody one of the listeners is like, what the hell is S and P? Yeah, yeah. He can start uh, dropping a lot of lingo here. <laughs> yeah. There was well, there was one day we were up in uh the northern northern. We're actually north of the Adirondacks. We were uh-huh. we're, we could watch the birds cross the border out of Canada. Oh, cool. And then we they drop in the decoys and we shoot. <laughs> now them. they're American. Go go yep, go. They're legal now. <laughs> and uh, you know we were hunting Canada's and uh we had gotten a few and all of a sudden this snow these snowkies flopped in. Snow's never. Drop into our candy because not not there. Never, uh, never okay. had luck, and mm-hmm. um, we all shot a couple of birds. And uh, I say all those three of us, um, me, John, my buddy, my, yeah, my buddies John and Tyler. And uh, so we took them home. You know, took them back to college. You know, breasting them out with the Canadas. And that night, you know, we had them side by side. We had a mix. We couldn't tell what was what was what was what. Uh huh. You know, and you know, and, and it was that. It, so I went to. Paul Smith is a very small college in the Northern Adirondacks, and okay. it's the kind of school like the, it was. A, we had a T-shirt that went around. It was like Rule Number Two Forty Three. <laughs> I'm trying to paraphrase it. It was like Rule Number Two Forty Three. If you don't like what the mess hall has, just go shoot it. <laughs> like we have an armory on campus. Like you can go keep your your deer really? rifle and shot. Oh yeah, it's sick. So uh, <laughs> we get out of class. You know, go grab your shotgun, go grab your rifle, and just go hunt until dark, or yeah. go before, or go during class sometimes. <laughs> and you know, it's it's no big deal to see, yeah. especially a morning class. Uh huh. Like uh, I remember my freshman year, I was in economics. Walking and in camo and blood yeah, guts, guys. Maybe. Were, well, yeah, guys, we come in wearing camo and face paint, and you know, I'm a freshman, think, oh, I gotta take my ser- my How studies about, serious. Did come in with a dog though? Uh, <laughs> a, you'd see a lot of dogs. I don't remember if anybody dog had dog all wet and muddy, like, uh, he's all tired and happy. like. <laughs> no, but it was the same kind of school that it was a, it's a forestry school as well. Oh, okay, okay. So folks are walking around with axes all day long. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. just a double bit sitting on their backpack kind of thing. And yeah. That's cool. But it was ironic, though, because it was also a cult. So the school started out as a resort oh. um, back at the turn of the century. Wow. Well, Two centuries ago now, I guess we're in 2020, 2021. Right. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it was a resort. So this college started out as, but it's up in the Adirondacks. So it started out doing like culinary, hotel mm-hmm. management, um, oh, cool. concierge kind of stuff, and uh, forestry. And it was a two-year school. And then now he's still, you know, he's got a very good name as for culinary and hotel rec uh. and, or outdoor rec and hotel uh-huh. management and, and wildlife is what I went for. And um, nice. he got all these culinary kids. But the mess hall is some of the worst food you'll ever eat in your life. <laughs> it's like Every, we're in New everybody York. Everybody learns and then they leave. Well, <laughs> Nobody yeah, it's stays like, dude, there. we're in New York. How are you burning every slice of pizza? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we ended up eating. That's That was a bright, major, major encouragement to go hunt was. Yeah, to not have to eat the yeah, don't food. You know, you're paying for the meal plan, but you don't want to eat it. It's, yeah, you'd go and you'd raid the the bread. You know, it had the bread. You'd go raid that, so you didn't make stuff. So you can go make a white tail sandwich or something. <laughs> so a lot of that waterfowl, you would just grill it. A lot of it, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so and it turns out really good like that. Huh? Yeah, I always yeah. loved it that way. Uh, but it's, how do you clean them? Do you usually breast them? Or? I breast them out. Um, mm-hmm. I so a lot of guys will accuse me. I eat, I eat very simple. Yeah. Um, I'm very meat and potatoes. Uh-huh. And so, like the whole like the the plucking all the ducks and um, doesn't matter if I was shooting squirrels or mm-hmm. or ducks or deer. Well, I mean, deer a little bit different, but yeah, you know, I'd take every bit of meat I could. Yeah, but it would be I'd grill it, um, or it'd go into like stew meat kind of thing, yeah. or like making Love chili stews. or uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we'd always do with our scrap meat because like mom, like uh, like roasts. Like it might as well be like roast because it's it's pretty much a four letter word in, yeah. in our house. Uh-huh. Um, mom can't she doesn't like cooking them she doesn't like eating them. Uh-huh. So I never ate them. Right. And uh, so you know, I always got to be like, oh yeah, I do a roast. Got to do a roast. So I don't want to do a roast. So it was, it, was, yeah. it was steaks and stews, and that was uh-huh. like you'd walk into the house because like mom would, uh, she still does it. You know, get up first thing in the morning with dad. You know, um, so dad. He's out the door like five thirty to six o'clock in the morning, and she works at the school. So uh-huh. when Dad leaves, she gets all the stuff ready, and then she she puts the meat in the crock pot right then and there, frozen yeah. for making venison stew. And then you walk in the house like after everybody's End of home. The day, it's all oh delicious. man, that stew hits you, and you're like, okay, I'm home. This is so like that's phenomenal. Because I got uh, I actually got in trouble one day because I was never very good at marking my bags whenever I shoot stuff, <laughs> and. <laughs> I shot a bunch of geese, uh-huh. and I used to just stuff all the meat in. So I had like three, three birds worth of goose breasts in one Ziploc bag, <laughs> wrote on them. But it was, you know, it, I put them in too soon, so the, the, the writing had worn. It was kind of wiped off the, the Ziploc. Yeah. And mom went in, grabbed a bag of meat first thing in the morning. Thought dropped it was it in, just the beef. Well, she thought it was uh, deer uh, deer stew meat, which oh, okay. we cut into like one inch cubes and. Um, she's making venison stew. Well, she gets home that night, and she goes to scoop it. Take- <laughs> well, no, it wasn't even that. It was uh, she went to scoop it, you know, thinking she's gonna get little chunks of venison. Yeah. Here comes these giant freaking goose breasts. Oh, they're all the full piece. She's yeah. like, "What the hell is this?" You cubed them. Yeah. And then she, I get a phone call. You gotta mark your bags better. You ruined dinner. <laughs> pretty. Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, I gotta. Well, you were like, this is delicious. What are you talking oh, it was, about? Yeah, it was, but it was, oh, yeah, I got a lot of down. So from then on, I had to, like, go through and make sure I marked every single bag out properly. And Name, species, and date, please. Oh, I got my own freezer after that. Yeah. Uh, I forget where it came from, but, yeah, my parents, um, we had two freezers in the garage. Yeah. 
and one was mom's freezer. One was and your one, trash. One was yeah. my yeah. So, <laughs> my, yeah. So every like, once in a while, there might be something in there waiting for maybe the taxidermist, maybe she not. Want, yeah, she wanted no <laughs> fins or like fur. Some fur in there. Yeah, she. I actually had um. Which I felt terrible. Uh, I actually had a red head and two yeah. bluebills in there when the freezer conked out. You're like, wait till I get some money, see what these are going to look like. And then it's like, yep. damn, I never got that money. And then time to throw them out. And that's what happened because yeah. it's uh, the freezer conked out before I could get the money together. Or, so. yeah, that's the thing that happens. Yep. The freezer will go out. And you're like, dude, I lost my red ass. Oh, yeah, and Dad had been putting deer in there. so and then, or, It's usually know, when you're not home or something, they're like, we threw here. everything was, out. You're like, wait, wait, but what, but what about the – no. <laughs> yeah. Um. That was. I had just been home, and uh, the year like this happened in, I think in March or April. Oh, it was recent. And uh, this is recent history. Yeah, but I had been home the fall before, and uh-huh. I had shot a spike buck, and then Dad had shot a buck, and so we had, had two deer, and I think my brother-in-law might have gotten one. But anyways, we had the, those deer in there. I had shot. Um. I had been duck hunting and. Man, you want to talk about cold. think about difference in February Arizona versus New York. Oh, you gosh. know, I had uh, I went had gone back in December. It was right at the very 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 end of deer season, last part of November, first part of December. Um, deer season closes like the first the first Saturday in December, pretty much first Sunday in oh, December. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I shot this bike, and um, but I'd also gone duck hunt with my buddies, uh, all duck hunting buddies, and. We were killing broadbills, um, greater mm. greater bluebills mm-hmm. at negative twenty two degrees. <gasps> yeah, we're breaking ice both ways in the water, getting t- picking up birds and just sitting there just, uh, at, just shivering so bad. At that temperature, do you have to look out for not having like oil and grease on your gun because it'll freeze or not? Yeah, it'll get cold. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you have to run them dry, I, right? Yeah, my A five it ran dry. Uh-huh. Um, that hunt. So I've got my A five here. I got a Browning A five, and then. Um, uh, I keep a shotgun in New York, mm-hmm. a pump gun, just for to have a reliable when I'm yeah. when I'm home. And so, luckily, it was my old reliable. My old, um, I've shot a Benelli Supernova forever, nice. and it's the kind of gun I've actually had hunts with that one where it's been so gummed up that the action would fr- would stick. It'll stick. So I, I've shot birds. You know, had had a bird come in, <laughs> you know, in a in a Canada field. I come up on a layup line. Bang! I've got to take the shotgun and beat it off <laughs> yeah, the ground to get the action to break. Does chink, the uh, chink, and then away I go. Does even like the trigger mechanism and the firing pin like slow down a little when it gets that cold, or no? Is that only not because usually? your fingers can't move as fast? Yeah, just because your <laughs> your brain to fingers sign. Like, oh, oh, you're trying no. to like. Oh, you're trying to like. So, oh, like I'm trying to text, and your thumbs can barely move. Oh, they're so cold. I like, bet. Like you know, here in Arizona, yeah. and then with that thing, it's like each. It's a. It's stressful to put each. Letter <laughs> Not only in. you, but the phone is probably also like G. Yeah. It's, oh, oh, you have. You don't have it. On oh, like, D. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the hunting is good. Yeah. No, it's like you yeah. know because you're wearing so many layers. Yeah. You don't have it in the outer layer. You don't have the next one in. If you're wearing bibs, it's inside. You have to. The, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah you gotta like worry about where you even put it because in those outside layers, it'll yeah, just get it'll too kill cold. It. Yeah. You get about. Get a couple hours out of them, <laughs> especially my old phone. So this is one problems is that us Arizona guys don't really usually know. No, about. I mean the <laughs> coldest hunt I've had since moving here was we were duck hunting on Roosevelt two, three years ago. It was right after we moved here. Uh huh. 
duck hunting in Roosevelt and it was 26 degrees. You were in your shorts. Everybody yeah. else was like, dude, are you sick? Yeah. <laughs> I think I had like one fleece jacket on or something or one like a hoodie or yeah, something. Yeah, one layer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a single layer. Yeah, this ain't too bad. And then, you know, now it's like I hit, it hits 70. Your I'm buddies like, dude. Yeah. It's, well, now it's, yeah, like I said, it's like if it hits 70, now, especially at night when the sun goes uh, down, oh yeah, I'm putting a jacket on. Right. Yeah. The, the blood thins out quick, huh? Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't take long at all. But man, but uh, probably should get back to talk about fishing. But so, <laughs> sure. Um. So in these lakes, uh-huh. uh, so we've got largemouth. Yep. Uh, are there still good size largemouth? There's, there's giant flathead in here. Flat? I thought there was only channels in these. Yes, dude. So a little while ago when we had like that nasty golden algae bloom that messed up our salt river chain. Okay. It Again, this is connected to that. So right. some of this water, like it fed into here. And all of a sudden we were starting to see some dead fish here. Well, one of the fish that we saw was this giant, probably 60, 70 pound flathead out here. Somewhere in my deep in my phone is a picture of it. Huh. It was floating, you know, it was upside down, it was floating, it had been burned by the sun for maybe two days. But dude, it was huge. I told my buddy <laughs> about it and he's like, You do know that like if there's one, there's more. Right. Oh, you don't get a seventy pounder without yeah. having something else. And I was like, Man, I no idea. But there are like a few little urban flathead places, but yeah, largemouth, maybe flathead, you know, channels for sure. Uh bluegill, crappie. Another thing that trickles in through the ch- um, through the system is uh, yellow bass into here. Yeah. So sometimes guys will catch yellow bass in here, um, and then we have the the grass and the uh, common carp. And that's uh, so. Did you know that common carp is actually like an invasive species? Not there's no common carp in North America. Oh yeah. They're not normal, and yep. they were brought over for food. Yep. Like that's crazy to me. And back in those days. I forget what years, but back in those days, it was like the way that we see tilapia everywhere right now on like food restaurant menus. You yeah. would see carp. Like carp was the thing to eat. Yeah, they're brought in as a trying to be a food fish, and it failed mm-hmm. miserably because Americans don't want it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, that's what that's what's available here. Um, and I think most of us are, you know, most of us are going to be chasing the large mouse out of out of the ponds. Yeah. Ah, uh, the curiosity looks. We're um, thinking about because you got you got the fly rod sitting here on mm-hmm. the sea as well. Um, but thinking about the carp, do you ever get after the white emirs over in the canals? Yeah, so those those are the ones that I kind of like. I prefer them. There's that. So what when makes I'm them talking so nice. about like this berry and all this technique, that's chasing those the grass carp, the white emir, which is okay. the same. That's the same thing. White emir and grass carp. Okay, and when you said the grass carp, I was picturing commons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the other one that we have is the common. And then there's also the, uh, which is just a variance of them, is the mirror carp, which yep. is the ones that have like the messed up looking they scales. They got the giant scale. Yeah, you know, or like missing some sizes. and it's like, looks yeah. like just skin. Yeah, that's the a variation. And then the koi, you know, there's also like some random koi everywhere. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, oh, see that one that just ate right there? That's a, that's a grass carp. So the grass carp have their eyes on the side of their head and that mouth is forward. And that's why, like, they, in Asia, they're the ones that are looking for those things that fall off the trees. And that's why they have those eyes up here, because they're usually eating up. Right. Then the common is, you know, the mouth down underneath. Yeah, the He's one- more of, like, a filter feeder down under there on the bottom. 
Right, so the those one that everybody, can, when they think mm -hmm. of carp, they think of, oh, that's a bottom feeder. Yes. They think of that, but the you know, these white mirrors, are, mm -hmm. they're not a bottom feeder. Correct. Yeah, they're, they're not usually eating off the bottom. They're trying to eat more things off the surface. Mm -hmm. No, so that's pretty cool. So, I, I mean, because I've always, like, I've heard the commons and I've heard grass, and uh -huh. I always attributed the grass and common were the same species, and then I just, yeah. know, also, just <coughs> so I've always been differentiating between carp and, mm -hmm. and the white mirrors. Yeah, the white mirror and grass carp are the same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because then, so, I, in the canals, uh -huh. I know that Game and Fish didn't put them there. That's an SRP stocking. Yes, correct. So, uh -huh. with uh, with those, I know they have some special rules because, you know, it's got to be 30 inches or more and it's going to be only uh -huh. one a day. Do those rules apply to places like Dobson Ranch or other urban lakes that might have white emirs in them? Uh, well, here, it's all catch and release fishing. So, here, everything should be catch and release. This is private, right? Like you can't, correct. The like, uh -huh. public can't come in and... And fish these right. waters in particular, but there are a ton of other waters in, uh -huh. in, in the valley. Yeah, there's like a there's a urban program by the Game and Fish, and that's uh, those are controlled by them and managed by them. And then there's some that stock trout, which yeah. also have big bass that eat those trout. Yeah. And then there's uh, there's the canal systems, which you're most of them you're allowed to fish the SRP canals. And then there's like the you know golf course ponds, and then these like residential ponds. And depending on what residential it is, you know, how strict they will be or how, you know, you know some you're going to get kicked out right away and some you know that, like, <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> right. You're, you're good. <laughs> so that, that's how that setup goes. Yeah, because I see a lot of questions, like, um, you know, like cruising through, like, Facebook and whatnot. You see mm -hmm. a lot of questions, like, hey, you know, be like an overview map of a pond and be like, hey, did anybody fish this before? Mm -hmm. um, oh, pardon me. Um, there's a lot of guys, you know, so there's a lot of, in addition to the opportunity, there's a lot of folks, you know, sharing that information and, you know, so you can really learn how to, how to fish. Because it's, cause, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, you know, it's, it's tough fishing these urban waters. Yes, yeah, they just, can be tough. Just mm -hmm. from the pressure and whatnot. Yeah. But it's. A Once you find that sneaky technique, though, yep. it's kind of cool. Like, you can go, you know, there when I used to hit them hard, it would be like, ooh, we just found, I just kind of stumbled onto this new technique. Yep. And, dude, it's working everywhere. Let me take it here. Let me take it there. Let me take it to a super heavily pressured one in, in like, the hood of Phoenix, right? Like, let me <laughs> go there. See how it does there. Catch my one or two. You know what? It's time to get the hell out of here. Let's go. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, hitting, like, Kiwanis and whatnot, like those heavy, uh -huh. those heavily hit art uh, ponds. Yep. But, uh, so, out of curiosity, and don't I don't want your secrets or like that, but as far as... Do you, when you're fishing urban, especially if you're, say, you're going to a pond that, you know, it's not like a, your home waters. You're yeah. going to one that, you know, okay. it's, it's public access. Is your first game, are you doing, going subtle or are you going aggressive? Uh, or is it going to depend? So, well, that will depend on, like, season, right? Yeah. Like, seasonality. Kind of the, I would say, in the, the food triangle <laughs> of that stuff, first off, it's like, what's the season? From there, I can kind of say okay if it's winter you know we're probably looking at this this and this technique uh more slow more bottom kind of techniques if we're looking at like warmer temps you know summer spring uh then you know i know to go to like these other kind of more reaction things like maybe if it's early morning i can start on the surface get try to get some popper by you know top water bites from there, move on to like jerk baits or other, you know, faster moving reaction baits. Yeah. And then kind of as the day, you know, as the sun gets up, 
a pretty typical thing here is going to be that like, yeah, the sun's up, it's a bluebird day. So of course the fish aren't like up there acting crazy anymore. They're somewhere off now for a more subtle technique. They're going back there subtly. Uh -huh. So, but <clears throat> the man, like a year round thing that you can just like, if you really wanted to just go test, like, mm, let me go see if there's fish here or what, you know, what what's in here, a Senko. Like you can't beat a Senko. Yep. Like just go out, throw a weightless Senko, and oh, like there's so many ways you can rig fish. it too. Yeah, there's so many ways to rig it. Any of them work, and like that's a great you know, that like you can't beat that for some reason. Right. But then there's other times like not that long ago we were I was having a really good uh, like uh, slide swimmer, the 145 slide swimmer, which is like a little mini version of the big 250 millimeter that we use. This was a 145 millimeter, and it's a little you know miniature glide bait. So it was like cool catching the <clears throat> what i call mini fish but you know they're like two to three pound bass yep. and with the little mini swim bait and like that was cool they were eating that and they were eating like the the optimum baits uh bubba sh or not the thumper tail but the uh yeah the boom boom <laughs> the boom boom bait <laughs> which is a small soft bait paddle tail okay so <clears throat> a little bit uh probably a little bit more newer than like like the old school like the sassy shads and whatnot yeah yeah a little yeah. bit a little different uh-huh yeah um cool colors so <laughs> so say somebody you know listening to this podcast they're new to fishing they maybe want to get into uh -huh. it go get a go get a pack of senkos pack of senkos <laughs> yeah uh what about like their gear setup like like because when i think of like an introductory rod and reel setup. You know, I'm thinking just seven foot medium action. Yeah, you want to go to the hookup tackle, get a $300 Mega Bass uh, rod, and then like a $600 Antares uh, Shimano reel. I'm just kidding. That's the, that's the budget <laughs> setup, right? <laughs> no, but what's cool now is that uh, there are like, there's, there's like a new Shimano Corrado basically that like, dude, that Corrado is oh, at a lower price point, a world above. Like the old green Corrado that we had to buy back in the day to be like the standard. Yeah. And, you know, the, the amount of bearings, the features, the brake system, like the technology on what you can get now for a budget rod and reel setup is, you know, it, it's better than what the hot, you know, the best product was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it, it's pretty cool. You know, you can, you can really get, uh, you can get nice stuff now for cheap. Yep. And obviously that's where, you know, the market, of course, the market heads towards like the high, you know, the high grade stuff, but it's also, you know, aimed at making it more and more accessible for, for those, you know, beginning people also. So yeah, whether it's a bait cast, you know, probably we don't all start off with bait casters. Usually we start off with like a spinning rod and reel right. and that will throw all of the stuff that you need at first, you know, definitely the Senko, the drop shot and, uh, yeah, you can't go wrong with something like that, you know. And with that, I mean, you're, you're obviously you're targeting the bass with that yeah, kind of stuff. Uh -huh. and but with most of those rods and reels, like you can imagine, you can fish, you can fish the largemouths, you can fish those carp things, you could fish uh, um, catfish. Like you know, you could even throw some a uh, little lighter, you know, your your blue fox spinners that you were talking about, yep. like dude, crappie and all that kind of stuff. Crush those too, and. Yeah, run like a number the, three or number, like mm -hmm. between like a size three and five of them. With, oh, yeah. There's not much that won't hit one. Right. Yeah. Just about anything that swims will eat those. 
And then so. as far as, so kind of doubling back to what we talked about earlier, because mm-hmm. I know we probably should be get wrapping this up because we are at yep. an hour and 17 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, and I don't plan on editing this down because I've been loving this. But, um, nice. Uh, <laughs> got another beer too. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I got to finish this one. But uh, when it comes to, say, you know, they're going out and picking, you know, somebody's picking out their first kit or they're adding maybe somebody's more a little bit more experienced mm-hmm. in their in their figuring this out. Do you tend to still do you still go super flashy or do you go more with the fly fishing setup more like a match the hatch kind of like lure selection in fly fishing? Well, in conventional, oh, so we're I fishing know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like fly fishing usually more of a match the hatch kind right. of. Right. Are you gonna run like a super uh, like no, a chartreuse? So, or? Well, <clears throat> yeah. Color wise, like I would say one thing that I've learned the hard way through decades here in Arizona. Uh, color wise, you just want to keep it natural. Yeah. So like your watermelon colors. Uh, those olive type of colors, uh, the clear type of things, like the more subtle and and natural that you can keep it, I would say the better in Ari- in all of Arizona. Like that's a that's a standard thing. So I would say try to probably stay away from like the real aggressive or real reaction kind of baits until you kind of see things on the water that like lead you in that direction. So right. let's say you start. You know, you're throwing out this, like, watermelon Senko. Nothing's quite happening, but you notice that, like, oh, dude, I was reeling it in. And kind of, you know, as I was reeling in, the rod tip was bouncing a little, making it kind of choo-choo-choo-choo-choo, dart side to side. And as I was reeling it in, like, dude, a bass came up, like, hot behind it, right? Right. Like, came up just, and, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's a little hint that, like, hey, Maybe the reason that they're not eating it as much as usual right now is because they want more act. They're more active. They're right, in a they higher want, state. They want it to burn going across. Uh-huh. So maybe like that Senko that used to do so well by just going out and sitting there in the water and releasing salt and kind of attracting them, maybe now all of a sudden that's not enough. Right. So like, ooh, what do I do now? Like I need something that kind of goes through the water more. Oh, well, then you go and you find that like, hey, the uh, bass assassin or a fluke is like that same type, the same color, same uh, kind of s- you know similar size and profile, but yep. now the action is made to actually like dart side to side. I go out, throw that, and all of a sudden, like, dude, now I'm catching them like that. So, it, and it all like changes. So it's like right when you figure something out, you get like a week or two out of it, and then it's like, but the style changes on you. The fish like, now we don't want that. Now we want this you know starfish thing on the the dead starfish down there or now we want it to be you know like a drop shot like oh i figured out dude they need it like uh you know they want it to be like a foot off the bottom not on the bottom like a like dragging right and then sometimes like at night you find like no now they actually don't want it in that middle water column or something now like they want it on the bottom it needs to be like dragging and i need to have bottom contact to then make it work so i a lot of it is just kind of like trying to pick up on these clues, right? Because the hardest thing I think about fishing is that, like, unlike hunting, you don't get to see where they are. Like, yeah, you don't get to kind see of them. Yeah, so it's a lot of, like, guesswork. And it's a lot of, like, so you want to have, like, a few baits. You don't need to have a lot. But you want to have a few that run the different either water columns or those activity levels yeah. so that you can kind of check. Like, hmm, you know what? I went out there, tried that popper. It's not working on the popper. Let me go down a little bit. You know, and let me now maybe try that fluke thing. Hmm, you know what? Still not really. It's kind of weird that I haven't gotten bit in an hour or two that I've been out here. 
let me now move it down and like kill it even more and make it more subtle and maybe move to that that senko that drop shot a little mini jig something like that and then you start oh okay now i got bit so it's kind of like it's always this like puzzle checklist right and, and the way i look at it is kind of like you're you're trying to go through those different en like energy states you know states of like aggressiveness and trying to figure out like what state are you guys in right now and like or, or at this week or at this moon phase or at this time phase or this seasonal pattern like what's the thing that's like you know getting them there so it's nice to have like a few baits that just run that different stuff so that you can you can go out and quickly like change and check and check this check that maybe they're this maybe they're that boom there it is and the cool thing about fishing is that it is like it, somehow nature makes them all follow the same pattern right so it's like once you find that one pattern or that one water level or water activity you know activity level or whatever it right, is for whatever reason they're there. yeah once you figure that one fish out if you're if you're kind of like rolling tape in your mind and like oh what was i doing when i got bit with that one was i reeling it in more was i working it with the rod more you know what if you go back and just do that same thing and try to reproduce that same presentation on different parts of that pond or lake that's when you'll get into the pattern of it and then realize like dude the senko's hot right now oh the jerk bait's <laughs> hot right now like you know and then you can zero it in even more size color all of that so out of curiosity are you a note taker like do you record like if, if you're uh, getting yeah, hit there has been years where i keep like the best thing to do especially if you're starting keep a log book yeah or like <laughs> like me right now like i'm lost right if i go like out on the lakes i feel lost like dude i don't have a clue so right now is going to be one of those times when like better keep a log book and you want to track moon phase you want to track like time of day temperature barometric pressure you know nowadays you can get that on a watch or your phone or your app do you ever you carry can, a, like a like a thermometer so you can test like water temp yeah i have a very expensive hummingbird five thousand dollar freaking thermometer <laughs> 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 yeah but but if you're like fishing ponds yeah like, absolutely yeah like all of that you know, the more detailed notes you'll take that you can take, the better it'll be. It's just better info, better data that's coming into the system. And you will find, like, you'll go back and be able to see these patterns. Yep. Like, oh, it's happening like 10 a.m. to 12 a.m. or 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. And it's happening more. You know, I, I find if I go back and look, oh, my God, like, it's true. These moon phases are better fishing along these moon phases. Yep. And then you start noticing things like, uh, like w the time of the moon, uh, the moon set and moon rise, because you know that changes throughout time. Right. It's not always just yeah. The moon comes up at night and it goes down <laughs> in the morning. No, like that all changes, and that all has to do with fishing. And for some, you know, bass or especially bass, there and I think a lot of other fish, there they relate to that the way we relate to a clock telling us it's noon and it's time to eat yeah walleye key right in on it too but for yeah. for, for guys who know more uh -huh. like up north or back east you know walleye oh, for sure big time it, all fish seems so, to have some kind of huge draw something because we're recording this for if somebody listens to this later on we're recording this on the 5th of february so of 2021 depending mm -hmm. on how long somebody listens to this but uh forever yeah, um, it's gonna be out there forever. Timeless. Yeah, um, <laughs> someone's gonna dig this up. Going, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> but uh, you know, lately we've you know we've had had some rains after a uh -huh. long duration of you know bright sunny. Look, it is yeah. now clear skies. You know, but all of a sudden that 
rain came, yeah. and the bar- you know the barometers dropped, mm-hmm. and somebody probably also was like, well, why did the fish just shut down? Like they were hitting hard, and then why uh-huh. they just? But it's that low pressure system. Yeah. Assu- inferring mm-hmm. that low pressure probably has something to do with it. Oh yeah, you know, the, you get them to shut down. You know, deer yeah. hunting the same way. You know, they uh-huh. they, they kind of everything kind of. Stops uh-huh. when the uh, well ducks you know yep. to pick up or like else. that bite that you were doing before changes yeah and then it changes into something else and if you're able to adapt with that and if you have notes where you can go back and look like mm, what yeah. happened that last year when this happened to me like it's always a good reference point or like let's just say I haven't been out in a while I can go back and look at like a previous year's February yep. And at least that gives you a basis to, like, start from. Like, oh, okay, last year I was doing really good doing this in this time. So let me start there and see how, what little micro adjustments I need to do then to fit in, you know, to correlate with what's going on now. Right. I think that's a definitely something that I think, mm-hmm. especially new anglers or, you know, folks, even if they're not new anglers, learning a new area. Yeah. You know, so, like, mm-hmm. like I was tight, you know, I knew what was happening back east come yeah. here like you said i'm lost i don't know what's going on yeah so oh, having yeah. to pick up those new trends and you know so for and i think that's going to relate to a lot of guys because if you listen to this because arizona's got so many transplants you know it's for sure mm-hmm. uh, yeah most people are from somewhere else mm-hmm. yeah i mean i mean obviously i'm one of them and you know but i've talked to i swear you know for every one person that you meet that's native to arizona you meet six or seven that aren't yeah you know and especially um it didn't be like from the northeast and northern states, you know, a lot of Chicagoans coming down, a lot uh-huh. of New Yorkers coming down and you know, and they're all you know, like it or not, they're all gonna be part of the fishing and hunting population down here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um I just say like it or not, because that's just more competition. But, but <laughs> right? it's competition's not a bad thing either. But yeah. uh you know, so you know, a lot of guys will be learning this place and you know and having these questions and, and hopefully this will be able to really help them out on that uh-huh. regard. But I got Two final questions for you, and we'll, cool. we'll, we'll wrap this up just because it, it's getting long. But uh, <laughs> uh, when you're fishing, uh, especially if you're gearing this towards a new fisherman, somebody trying uh-huh. to learn it, you're talking about like swapping out lures and whatnot. Yeah. Are you a tire or are you a snap swivel guy? Uh, so <clears throat> that that depends on what that bait is. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say reach for a snap swivel just because I don't want to tie a knot. I would say reach for a snap swivel because that type of bait needs that. So you're trying to impart more action out of it or something like that, where there's other baits where I don't want that extra sloppiness. I need to have like direct, uh, you know, uh, direct... Response right, so you're not to what I'm doing. So right, like so if you're not I twitch, put a snap swivel on like uh-huh. a Texas rig or Carolina or something. Correct. Like there, I would say it doesn't need it there. Somewhere that you might need a snap swivel, you know, or some kind of swivel device might be like a lipless crankbait or a crankbait or a jerkbait, something that you want like rolling and doing more. Yeah. There you might, <clears throat> you know, you'll want that. In the world of swim baits, it's like a wake bait, usually snap swivel. Uh, you know, I want that thing to move more freely. A glide bait, I want to have direct, like direct input. So when I cut that reel, I want it to cut direct and not have like a rocking kind of effect in it. So it that all depends on the on the bait and like just it, it's never a bad idea to retie a knot, anyways. Like that's something that we should all 
be in the habit of doing if you don't want to lose fish if you don't want to cast off your baits you know the best thing to do is get in that habit of even if you're not switching out baits just you know what i'm going to walk over to this new spot let me retie and retie that knot. Yeah. Like that's never a bad idea. No, that's a very good tip to, mm-hmm. for everybody so, to have. And, then and, you know, especially with those huge swim baits, two, three, four, five hundred $500 swim baits, like you want to be retying often because yeah. the knot eventually, even the best knot will give up. Oh yeah. So, I've had, mm-hmm. yeah, I've had some that I thought were solid and all of a sudden just zing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They Where go so much goes? farther when they don't have line connected to them, don't right? they? Right. <laughs> uh, and then my last question I have for you, um, before we do look at the closing, the closing comments, um, when it comes to working that water, learning, you know, if you're uh-huh. at a new pond, you're at a new state, whatever, uh-huh. how long are you giving it be- before you swap out your, your bait choice? I'm the worst at it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the type that's like, I got these two baits. I'm going to go try and learn them. I'm going to go throw them when I should and learn when I should be throwing it and then learn the hard way of when I shouldn't be throwing it. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of bad with that. I, I would say people that I look up to that do better than me at that kind of thing, they change a lot. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like that when you make that one perfect cast and it's like, ah, no fish there? You make another one of those really good casts, real good presentation where you're like, weird. Like, that's probably a good time to like change the but and then the bait or the whole idea of like where they are right i just want to emphasize so. too that you're saying it's <clears throat> when you've made it a good pre- not just your cast count but yeah it's when you've had good presentations uh-huh. so it's yeah yeah so it's a separate because, count really you know part of part of like learning to fish too is the whole thing of like learning that accuracy with the cast learning to read that water even though yep. we're on a pond and it's not like a river there's still like water you have to read right and like the way it bends where it curves where you see like the wind where is that wind like funneling that water where is it moving and creating a little bit of like a current you know even in a pond or where is their water movement more than other places where is an ambush point you know where where is a spot that i know like you know bash would bass would use this to ambush you know this dock or this whatever it is so uh yeah i would say it has more to do with uh like when i've comfortably put presentations in those spots and use feel like i've used the bait in the right way yep uh and come up with nothing that's when i would probably say like they're just not you know again that's the double-edged sword of fishing is that you don't know if it was just the bait that was off or if the fish aren't there right now right like so that's the hard thing but if you have a better understanding of where those fish are and the bait's not reacting you know not working for you then you know like you know what let me change it up and and don't just change like the color i i would say one of the you know one of the 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 mistakes that we make the most when we're when we're newer to fishing is thinking that it's all about color where i would say it's more about action profile and presentation above everything so it's not just enough to say like oh they didn't want the shad colored one but they ate the bluegill colored one like there's probably more going on there's right. probably more like a presentation change or a, like where you threw it of where the bass are is the biggest thing. Right. You're burning one a little too fast or mm-hmm. a little bit, it was different in the water column. Yep. Yeah. There's so much other that, yeah. So you definitely got to pay attention uh, to everything, you know, to really yeah. get a good, because you want to get it, because like you said, you're reading, you got to get a good quality read. Yes. You know, making sure you're, you know, hitting all your steps. And mm-hmm. no, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic thing to add. Um, but with that, I think 
Uh, you want to do? If you have any any closing comments, some last things you want to throw in before we sign off? Um, not that I mean, there's so much, but yeah. Let's shout see. out to mom or something. <laughs> Ooh, shout out Lowdown Custom Rods, my <laughs> rod mom. <laughs> Lowdown Custom Rods, Swimbait Underground. Nowadays, there's a huge amount of, like you were saying earlier, a huge amount of reference that you can gain from you know youtube and instagram and people that are out there trying to teach everybody and yeah, podcast you know, yeah podcast <laughs> but that also comes with its you know w with its like caution just like just like how it used to be when you were reading a book or reading a magazine article you know like yeah. who's the source what's what are they talking like who are they like what have they done behind them like you can't just believe everybody that does a youtube video right that they don't necessarily know what they're talking about but you know look for people that actually have uh you know some some fish catches to back that up and they actually seem like they know what they're doing but you know more than anything it's just time on the water too time yeah. on the water and be very observant you know, just like hunting upland or something. Like, I, you know, I tell my friends, like, eyes and ears. They're like, what do you mean? Like, what are you looking for? Oh, you look for things, right? Yep. Look for, get your polarized glasses. Make sure you're seeing into the water because that's how you pick up little clues along yep. the way. By seeing this fish do that, seeing this fish over here. All of a sudden, I saw him shallow today. Ooh, I haven't seen a fish in a long time. Well, that lets you know they're not on the shoreline, right? They're probably out somewhere else. Yep. So just uh, yeah, if for if you know, try to pick up any clues, notes, you know, try to try to try keep a logbook is going to be great, and uh, just anything that will, it's all data, you know what I mean, and we have to process all this data as much as we can, yeah, to learn. And again, the cool thing is that they do pattern, so usually like hey, last time you know a couple weeks ago the wind kicked up, and I tried this out and caught a couple this way. Right now, like I see the winds kicking up. So let's start there. Like, try to start reproduce that. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. So definitely, like you said, definitely you have you have the north sources, but you still got to use the head on your own shoulders. You yes. still got to have your own observations. You still, yeah. Because I'm picturing like one of my favorites is like if you all of a sudden there's minnows jumping. Yeah. Probably a good uh, reason why they're jumping. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but it's something that you know a lot of folks you know just <laughs> walking down you know the folks are just walking their dog up the sidewalk. They might not notice, but if for you, sure, you know, it's you know, it's just like you're seeing like um, if you're out in the ocean, seeing those stripers start to boil. Oh gosh! Or if you're on like Lake Pleasant, for instance. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Another fishing. We didn't touch on that one, but another the opportunity in the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is all the strippers. Although everybody seems online seems to want to spell it P P E R. Strippers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you see that one in all the Facebook groups. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, all right, Manny. I, th I can't thank you enough for, yeah, for agreeing thanks, to do this. Thanks for coming on the pontoon. This has been one of the funner, the the more uh, scenic podcasts we've done. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of kind of thinking one of these days. We're I know we talked about it before. We didn't. We ended up not doing it, but we might have to video this. We do yeah, another one. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw in a carp catch in there. There you go. <laughs> no, but uh, again, I can't thank you enough. And um, you're welcome. Thank you for coming out. Yeah, with that, we're gonna sign off today and. Hope everybody has a good one. Yeah. Yep. Bye. <laughs> cool.